Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Danny Manning, out at Wake Forest on April 25th, a Saturday, Tim Duncan's birthday. Who's going to replace Manning? Who are the candidates? What does all this mean? What's even happening right now? Flick those sirens. Here we go. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Saturday, April 25th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me and some breaking news this morning from the world of college basketball. Danny Manning is out after six seasons at Wake Forest. He went 78 and 111 in those six seasons, never finished above 500 in the ACC, went 14 and 42 in the league in the past three seasons. So, Yes, Danny was burned by some questionable early entries to the NBA draft. He's an awesome guy. Everybody likes him. I like him a lot. But it is hard to argue with Wake making a coaching change from a performance perspective in a business where you either get it done or you don't get it done. The only question is the timing and the buyout. I honestly thought the massive buyout plus the coronavirus pandemic might save him. But nope, Norlander. Do you have any issues with Wake Forest making a coaching change during a pandemic on April 25th at the cost of reportedly $15 million? Yeah, I got issues. I got <laughs> plenty of issues here. Let's get right into them. First of all, this is a surprise. No one heard, no one saw this coming. This was clearly decided upon by Curry and Wake Forest Brass uh, from what I can tell uh, within the past 72 hours. Uh, Danny Manning took a pay cut less than a week ago that was publicly announced, not just him, but of course, as we're seeing across the country with so many athletic directors and coaches in revenue-producing sports. Uh, Manning took that cut. He had made podcast appearances recently. He didn't think he was getting fired. Um, maybe only John Curry and Wake Forest's president thought that this was actually going to be a possibility as recently as even a week ago. So we'll start there. This was a surprise. This was not anticipated. In fact, I even knocked on some doors. Uh, I want to say we're recording this Saturday, April 25th. I think Friday the 17th, I just kind of made the rounds. It was like, hey, just so we're clear, like there's not any anticipated movement really uh, all that much more uh, in terms of coaching stuff. And that was the case. Unless uh, IUPUI opts to no longer suspended search <laughs> was what I was told, things were going to be quiet. So th this is a surprise here. Um, the buyout number, uh, which John Rothstein reported was north of 15 million. I had another person reach out to me and give me a 15.8 million number is absolutely absurd. Um, I just, there's a lot to get to. I, I, I would hope, and I, it's not our money, so whatever. Maybe I don't need to hope, GP. Maybe it's not us for us to care, but it's, it's bad optics that the COVID-19 pandemic on top of Danny Manning reportedly, presumably being paid more than $15 million to no longer coach at Wake Forest after getting to one NCAA tournament, uh, will signal 
a massive reduction in these absolutely absurd buyout numbers. Shouts to the agents. You're getting it done. You're getting it done for your coaches. If you're an athletic director, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is it's an embarrassing number here. And while Wake Forest has, has you know, a billion-dollar-plus endowment, that money, as I understand it, is the, cannot be used to help pay out Danny Manning. So to the Wake Forest boosters who have the pockets still that are deep enough to pay for this, uh, also shout-out to you in the middle of a pandemic to make this happen. But, yeah, this came as a, as a relatively big surprise here. And on Tim Duncan's birthday, no less, by the way, are you aware that Tim Duncan, uh, he turns 44 today. So um, he wouldn't be at the list of my potential candidates atop the list. But it would be hilarious if uh, one day down the road, we know Tim Duncan is obviously um, wanting to get into coaching and being involved with the Spurs. He seems to have a good setup there. If uh, <laughs> if in a backward way he got involved as well, so yeah, there's a there's been a lot uh, happening here this morning, and certainly uh, it it comes as a surprise, and we have our first firing termination from a power conference school amid the coronavirus pandemic, and that's something not really no one thought was going to be possible as recently as three or four days ago. I believe the big fundamental is actually on Greg Popovich's staff in San Antonio, and I'll be surprised if he is a candidate for the Wake Forest job, but I've been surprised before. Um, I will say I, like you, um, thought with the, the, the amount of money involved here and the coronavirus pandemic and the fact that like Danny was doing interviews about Wake Forest basketball, like with it, you know, a few days ago, I, I just assumed he was safe. But when I t- started asking around this morning, I did have one person who, who like is in the know with these types of things who works in the industry. And this person said uh, that it had been heading this way for a while, whatever that means. And so either way, it, it, it's over. And while it is John Curry who has decided um, or at least who is the athletic depart- director in charge of the athletic department that has decided – to replace Danny Manning at a pretty big number, it should be noted that it's former AD Ron Wellman yes. who gave Danny Manning this contract extension. And it is ridiculous. And it was ridiculous when it happened. And I say this as a fan of Danny Manning. Um, first off, Ron Wellman, same guy that hired Jeff Bezdelic because they were buddies. Like Bezdelic had gone 36 and 58 in three seasons at Colorado. Finished 12th, 12th, and 8th in the Big 12. And got and, and then his buddy hires him at Wake Forest. All right. He goes 1 and 15 in the ACC in year one, 4 and 12 in year two, 6 and 12 in year three. Probably should have been gone right there. They bring him back. He goes 6 and 12 in year four. Now Ron Wellman's got to make another coaching hire. He hires Danny Manning, which is totally fine. Like I, I have no issues with the hire. Sometimes they work, sometimes they yeah. don't. This one didn't, but I don't think you're going to be able to find evidence of me ripping the high, Danny Manning hire um, when it was made. I'm pretty sure I ripped the Jeff Bezdelic hire and keeping Jeff Bezdelic for year four. I don't think I had any issues with hiring Danny Manning, but to give him a contract extension in November 2017 that now puts this number reportedly at 15 million dollars is insanity. First, focus on the month I just said. November 2017. Why do you need to give Danny Manning a six-year contract extension in November 2017? Like if, if, if it was March 2017 and some big job was coming after him, then maybe you got to do a deal to keep him at Wake Forest if you want to keep him at Wake Forest. But nobody's making a coaching change in November 2017. By the way, the season had already started. Wake Forest was two and four. 
Wake Forest was 2-4, and four, coming off of a 19-14 and 14 season, featuring a loss to Kansas State in the first four, and you give a six, a totally unnecessary six-year contract extension to Danny Manning. And now, fast forward to April 2020, there's still five years left on the contract, and it will cost the school reportedly $15 million dollars. To buy him out like that is insanity to me if Wake Forest fans don't hate Ron Wellman forever I don't understand him at all what the hell in the name of Kyle Visser is going on out here that's just it's ridiculous and you know it's it's I'll give uh Seth Davis a shout out on something because I remember I, I remember him being as vocal about this at the time as any person in the media first of all you know, you lose Skip Prosser unexpectedly, tragically, uh, in 2007, when at the time he is obviously the coach of Wake Forest and the program, is, you know, it, it's it's doing decently enough. He was two years removed from a nice run of NCAA tournaments, but regardless. So then Dino Gaudio steps in and he becomes he becomes the coach. He was an assistant under Prosser when he tragically died unexpectedly in 2007. Now, Gaudio is dismissed of in 2010 and he had been on the job three seasons uh he made the tournament his second season made the tournament again his third season that third season uh it was an underachieving wake forest team uh had alfa rogaminu ish smith was on that team cj harris it was a solid team but they just they they sputtered late and they they parted ways um with gaudio to bring in bizdelic and i remember seth at the time saying this is this is He's been done wrong. This is a mistake, and it has proved that has proven to be uh, a a terrible decision on the heels of a true tragedy. I mean, losing Prosser uh, is the kind of loss where it can it can just throw your program sideways for a few years. But Gaudio was I, probably the best guy in that c- circumstance to bring in and replace him. Then you get rid of him too early. You bring in Bizdelic. Then the thing goes sideways for four seasons. Then you bring in Manning, and he wasn't a bad hire. He had spent a couple seasons at Tulsa, um, and when he was hired, it was thought, okay, yeah, like this might be able to work. But as we've seen, just the track record is what it is at this point, GP. Wake Forest, for the most part, for 13, 14 years, has been an irrelevant program. It cannot find itself finishing above 500 in the ACC for the most part, with the exception of the two Gaudio years. Other than that, it just hasn't been the case there. And so now you're a Wake Forest program that finds yourself paying out apparently north of $15 million. And just to, like, I'm going to take that number for what it's that's still That's still an insane number to me. I almost need to see it on the paper to believe it. That's, that's an all-time terrible, terrible deal on the behalf of an institution and athletic director in terms of a signing like this this should be the thing that eliminates huge buyouts going forward we'll see if our economic situation even dictates it for the next five to ten years but now here's where wake forest finds itself um and manning i mean you know it, it is what it is i'm, I'm sure he's going to be fine uh and he'll he has no shortage of options by the way wherever he wants to go uh in terms of taking an assistance job or, or whatnot he'll be good but yeah, this is, uh, this is a big moment for Wake Forest to try and get the right guy in there and turn the program back to, uh, I would even say, rel- relevancy within the league, let alone nationally. Um, if the number is $15 million, I believe that it would be the biggest buyout ever paid to a men's basketball coach. There have been bigger yeah. college football buyouts, but I don't believe there's been bigger college basketball uh, buyouts. Tubby Smith at Memphis was no- north of $10 million. But I don't think I've ever heard anything 
at $15 million. And again, I don't have any issue with coaches getting their money. Like I'm happy for them. I'm not pocket watching here, but the stupidity from an athletic director's perspective to keep giving these massive contracts when you don't extensions, when you don't have to do it. Like it's one thing if you're trying to hire a guy now, we know that you have to give him five years or six years or whatever. But when you've got somebody under contract and it's November, so he's not going anywhere. There's no leverage whatsoever. Why are you giving a six-year contract extension in November to a guy who, by the way, best season is 19 and 14 and a loss in the first four? Right. Like, what, what are we doing? Again, let's, let's play this out. Um, if it were March of 2017, Danny's coming off an NCAA tournament appearance and a comparable job or a better job opens, and for whatever reason, they want Danny Manning, and Danny's sitting there with an offer, then you might have to go, okay, we got to get a contract extension done. I don't want to lose this guy. We finally got our program back in a good place after the disastrous Bezdelic years. Um, okay, let's get a contract extension done. I get that. That happens every year, and it makes sense. But when nobody is coming after you in November, why are you – why are why is an athletic director giving you a six year contract extension that is ultimately uh, it appears going to cost you know it, that could down the road cost fifteen million dollars because that's where we are now we are down the road like those are the decisions yeah. that I cannot believe university presidents let happen I just know this if I were running a university and my athletic director came to me in November and said okay we finally got all the terms together paperwork's right. Um, we're going to get Danny to sign. We're going to get our coach to sign a six-year contract extension. I would say, why are we giving a coach a six-year contract extension in November? What if this season is is a disaster? It, it, like we just tied ourselves long-term to somebody who's got our program headed the wrong direction. Like at, no, which it's it, November. Which He's not it going. Was. It was a disaster. Continue. Yeah, right. It's November. He's not going anywhere right now. By the way, we're two and four to start the season. So let's just wait in March and see what we need to do because I can't find a single advantage from our school's perspective of handing out this contract extension now. I can see an advantage for Danny signing it now, but how do we benefit from giving a contract extension to a basketball coach in November where there's literally nowhere for him to go right now? What are we doing? Like, I don't understand why that's allowed. Uh, Honestly, it's a commentary on how out of hand the entire industry and business has gotten. And you can use the Wake Forest calamity as a microcosm to just the entire entire complex of the industry like it it shouldn't be at this point and i don't think i don't think that schools i actually think schools will have the leverage to say we can't we're not going to just we can't do this anymore when you're going we're going to look up in a few weeks in a few months and see basically almost every single coach of men's basketball take a certain pay cut for a certain amount of time uh schools that have to cut sports this that and the other i it might be naive parish you know, I'm not going to pretend to sit here and know every single thing, but I just don't see how we can go back to the way. And it's and it frankly, it shouldn't be that way to begin with. Um, when you have the numbers that are that are this big, for a coach like Manning, who, oh by the way, never even got past the first round of the tournament in his coaching career, dating back to his time at Tulsa. Here are the numbers from when he was at Wake Forest: 12, 13, 10, 14, 13, 13, double digits. Those are where Wake. That's where Wake Forest finished 
every single season in the ACC. The corresponding wins in conference, 5, 2, 9, 4, 4, 6. So when you step back, you know, two months ago, Wake Forest parting ways with Danny Manning was not an expected thing, but among the most tracked and discussed things, the biggest the biggest attachment or unknown was, okay, can they do it given the size of this buyout, which depending on who you talk to was maybe it's going to be as low as six if you can get to the start of May. Or I heard is the highest number I had heard prior to today was 12. Regardless, it's a huge number. And now that they're doing it here, uh, it's, it's, it's damn interesting and and opens up uh, a candidate pool where, you know, we get to the names, but um, I think actually uh, potential replacements uh, make sense but I'll be interested to see the kind of deals those guys get in this in this new circumstance we find ourselves in, GP. They're, this is going to be the first hire by a power conference program in football or men's basketball since coronavirus hit. So we're talking years and, and money figures uh, and depending on what kind of coach they can land as well. Yeah, so let's get into the possible candidates to replace Danny Manning at uh, Wake Forest. And I do think... Um, the economy that we're all now living in will play a role in this. Like, I, I don't know how you can, whatever Danny's exact buyout is, like it's, it, we know it's a lot of money. And so now you're probably going to be shopping for a mid-major coach and there's some really, you know, qualified candidates available. And here's the thing, all the mid-major coaches make a certain amount of money. They'll all jump for, I don't, I shouldn't say they'll all jump, but like, you, I asked somebody this morning, and I said, "What do you think the Wake Forest job is going to pay?" And they said about a million and a half. Like you can, the guys they're going to shop for, mm-hmm. they can get for a million and a half. So you know something uh, along those lines. And so the the four names getting the most attention right now at the mid major level are Steve Forbes at East Tennessee State, Wes Miller at Greensboro, Pat Kelsey at Winthrop, and Ryan Odom at UMBC. And what's fascinating is that they all have real ties to the Wake Forest situation. Forbes worked with John Curry, the athletic director, um, when he was on Bruce Pearl's staff at Tennessee. Um, They have a relationship. Uh, Wes Miller, (laughs) the Wake Forest basketball facility is named the Miller Center after his father, Ken Miller. His dad's a trustee, played baseball at Wake, and I was Googling Ken Miller, Kenneth Miller, just reading about him. And he's described in one place as one of Wake Forest's, quote, most generous donors. <laughs> so that's, that's as strong a connection as you get. Uh, Pat Kelsey, of course, worked for Skip Prosser at Wake Forest. And Ryan Odom, his, his father, Dave Odom, uh, led in, in what you could reasonably call like the best years of Wake he's the Forest. Best, he's the, Dave Odom's the best coach in Wake Forest history. Yes. There you go. So um, you got four legitimate mid-major options, and they all have real ties either to the school or to the person making the hire. So that's a pretty that's a pretty fascinating thing. It is. Um, okay. So I would. <laughs> it's an interesting list here, and we'll see if others. Uh, first of all, I'd love Tim Duncan to be the coach. I'm just going to say, I know it's not, I just, I think, I think that's the best possible outcome for everyone here. Uh, Timmy, come on down. Um, among the names you mentioned, and we'll see if any others surface, um, 
if you want to look locally at another coach who's been pretty solid, I think uh, Earl Grant at Carl's of Charleston uh, certainly has done well. Um, Bob Ritchie at Furman. I, I don't think that you know he's necessarily in the mix, but he's he's done a good job at Furman, and that's that's right there in the Carolinas as well. So I, I would I would bet I would bet a good amount of money that the next coach at Wake Forest will be one of the four people I named. So Forbes obviously has the strongest resume. Um, he's not someone who I immediately th- like. He's not a fish out of water at Wake Forest. There have been stranger hires. Uh, sometimes when you hear names attached to jobs like you hear the you know well, what's the fit there sometimes i think fit can be understated sometimes i think it can be overstated i would be intrigued by the steve forbes fit at wake forest would you agree gp oh i could I, if the point you're making is that forbes doesn't seem like a quote-unquote wake forest guy i i i hear you i, I think forbes would probably acknowledge that but um, I don't care about I, – I shouldn't say I don't care about fit at all. I just care – I think fit's way down the list of things that are important uh, because the, the most important thing is, like, can the guy do the job? Mm-hmm. Like, can the guy do the job? I remember when Andy Enfield got hired at USC, and, and people can debate whether it's been good or bad, but, like, all these years later, he's still hired. He's still the coach. And, you know, recruiting recruiting at a high level and um, was, you know, going to the NCAA tournament, should be in the NCAA tournament next season – I remember people talking about fit. Like, how does it fit? He has no California ties. He's never worked west of the whatever. I was like, if the guy's good, it'll work. And, like, it, it's worked. Yes, I know he had an FBI scandal. I got, I, I hear you. But it's it's worked. And I would say the same thing about Forbes with basically any job. Like, I, I think he can do – He I think he can do the job. He's won 130 games in six years. Like, he's, he's going to have another awesome team at East Tennessee State next season if he's at East Tennessee State. Like, I, I – is he is he a perfect fit? I hear you. Could he do the job? I think so. Yeah, I think that he's certainly capable of doing it. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes fit can go terribly awry, and sometimes it can work uh, extremely well. And it's not even necessarily uh, geography based. Like you know, Chris Mullen was a bad fit at St. John's, and you would have never thought that would have been the case there. So, uh, so we wait and see on all of that there. Um, well, I don't know if he was a bad fit at St. John's, but he'd just be a bad fit anyway, right? He just, he just wouldn't be a, a successful Division One coach. Certainly, certainly could be the case. So for he's a bad, he's a bad fit in the profession. I yeah, I know. Uh, it's 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 that was that was something. Now we got Golden Gate Mike, so everything worked out well. Um, Forbes is 130 and 43. With two automatic NCAA tournament bids in five seasons at ETSU, only one tournament appearance because he did technically ETSU did get the auto bid this year, um, but yes, so uh, so that's something to consider. Odom is fascinating because you know he's the he's the son of Dave. He's got the win over Virginia. I I think he's the least accomplished of the four. But carries a good reputation. I would not – any of these names are possible. I would not think that he is uh, – you know, I would not think that he is going to be the leading candidate. And yeah, I would not uh, put my money on him. Wes Miller makes uh, a ton of sense to me. 
Um, has done well with Greensboro. Had a, has made the only the tournament once. Actually had a, a solid case. Uh, podcast listeners will remember we actually debated a, a number of interesting at-large candidates a year ago. Greensboro actually had a really good case to get into the tournament last season. Nevertheless, it didn't. Um, but he's uh, he's been pretty solid there. Um, and then Kelsey has been at his job the longest of any of these candidates Eight years with Winthrop, 163 and 93, won two auto bids. Like Forbes, actually won an auto bid this season. Obviously never got to uh, to play in the tournament there. So, you know, from what I understand, as of us recording this podcast, um, there is no perceived front runner at this point. Uh, but Curry's connection to Forbes is certainly interesting. Uh, Miller being just down the road. Uh, is is very interesting, and what I wait and see on is there's a search firm that's involved here, Ventura Partners. Um, I don't know if that is going to mean that this is going to play out over the course of three, five, seven days. Also, we'll note Randolph Childress is the interim coach, just uh, so we mentioned that there. He is a program legend in his own right. I wouldn't think that he would uh, step in to replace, but again, let's not try and and talk above our heads here. Like, Randolph Childress is a beloved figure in Wake Forest basketball. And uh, the program did the right thing by by having him as service the acting head coach here and now. Uh, you want to handle that situation with a lot of care, okay? Because uh, there aren't many, you know, outside of Tim Duncan, I'd say Randolph Childress is right up there. He was a part of, again, the greatest uh, run in program history when it was coached by Dave Odom. Um, so... Here we are, though. I, I did not think we'd get here. Uh, I don't have a prediction on who I think is going to get the job uh, because I just don't think there are any clear indications at this point that we that we know one way or the other. Uh, I would think that interviews will be held in a, I would think, in a Zoom-type fashion over the next 72-plus hours, and maybe we get more clarity midweek. I'm not sensing that this is going to be something that, you know, we published the podcast here for you all on Saturday, and then if you're listening to it on a Monday morning, the job will be filled. Obviously, that's possible, GP, but I'm not sensing that that's actually going to be the case. Of the four candidates I mentioned, like Steve Forbes is the most accomplished. Um, Ryan Odom's got the biggest win. He beat beat Virginia as a 16 seed. Uh, Pat Kelsey has got ties to the last time Wake Forest basketball was good. He was a part of that. And Wes Miller's dad's name is on a freaking building. To me, that's, uh, that, that's, that's a big advantage. Your dad is described as one of the school's most generous donors. And now, and I, and I want to make sure I'm clear about this. I'm not suggesting Wes is a legitimate candidate because of his father. Mm -hmm. Wes would be a legitimate candidate candidate under any circumstances. My point is like when you're a totally reasonable candidate and your father is quote, one of the most generous donors to wake forest university, that seems like you're in a, you'd be in a pretty good spot. So um, I, I could I, imagine yes, a scenario. Yeah, but I, where it, I will mention that. Yes, that's a good spot, but it was just one year ago when another person in this candidate pool, remember Pat Kelsey, 
his father had serious connections to Northern Kentucky, and it was uh, in large part because of that why Kelsey was rumored to be a front runner for the NKU job. That didn't even come to fruition. That job's not even as big. So it can be something, but we do have recent history to show that just because you have a direct family member with heavy ties to a university doesn't necessarily give you front, true front runner status. That's all. Yeah. Oh, I'm not calling him the front runner. I'm just saying that's got to be considered. Like yeah. it's got to be something that you think about. If if one of your most generous donors' sons is a legitimate candidate on his own merit and wants the job, um, how do you how do you balance that? I mean, it's just something that's got to be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, on the flip side of it, if you're Wes Miller, like, do you want this? You know, you're 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 only 37 years old. Like, it's a hard job. And it's a harder job. People always talk about, you know, remember when Wake Forest was good? Yeah, I do remember when Wake Forest was good. It was when Syracuse wasn't in the ACC. It was when Louisville wasn't in the ACC. Like how far has that program been pushed down because of expansion? So it's a different – like, yeah, Dave Odom did some uh, some really great things there. Skip Prosser too. Um, how much has that job changed uh, since then? How much has it been pushed down in the pecking order of things in the ACC since then. And so if you're, if you're Wes Miller, you're 37 years old, you clearly come from money. So you don't have to take the job just because of money. Um, you know, like some of these guys, you know, like, like Steve Ford's 55 years old. Mm-hmm. You, like they're going to put a guaranteed contract on the table worth eight, $9 million total. I don't, you know, that's tough to turn down. You know, that's, that's like, that sets you up for retirement money. It either goes well and you, you 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 really cash in, or it goes poorly, and you are you know you can retire at sixty if you want, or you know get another job, whatever you want to do. That's just I, Wes is at a different place than Forbes, um, you know, based on age and like, I, you know, if, his father is obviously wealthy. I don't know you don't have to jump for the money. That's my point. And so if you're Wes, do you take this hard ACC job? Or do you wait for something better? I don't know. These are just all things that these guys have to figure out. And for what it's worth, Steve Forbes and Wes Miller, this is just an interesting tidbit. They share the same agent, Jason Charney. That's right. So I'm sure Charney will uh, <laughs> he'll be navigating all of these with both of those guys. Yeah. Uh, Wake Forest from 1960, well, let's see here, 1954 to 1980 made three NCAA tournaments total. Then from 1981 – until 1991, it made three tournaments. Then it had a really good run. It made seven straight under Odom. Uh, petered out near the end and then found some momentum under Prosser. And then since 2006, Wake Forest has gone to the NCAA tournament three times and never uh, got past the second round of the tournament there. So uh, I'm just, you know informing listeners as to what you were referencing, uh, particularly where Wake stands now versus what it was. Uh, it definitely had a good run. Like it, I think you and I particularly, and those who would find themselves between the ages of 33 and 43 that are listening to this podcast probably have a certain affinity and regard for Wake Forest because they happen to be really good and relevant when we came up to understand, love, and develop a passion for college basketball. But historically, the program's just not that. It is an interesting spot now. If you're Wes and you get an opportunity, Wes Miller, listen, man, you just don't know when it's going to come again. So I think you take the chance and you go for it. It's a power conference job. It's in state. If you get that opportunity, you, I think you absolutely take it. I think any of these guys would take it. And they're all interesting candidates in uh, in their own right there. And, you know, the the other three, like Kelsey, 
uh, Odom and Miller, I think, still all have fairly bright futures ahead. Odom's a, a, a bit older, uh, but not nearly as old as Forbes there. With Forbes, um, to me, he's just the most proven candidate at this point uh, because of uh, how good he's been at ETSU. Uh, Kelsey sustained a little bit longer at Winthrop, um, but it will be intriguing to see who they hire and on, under what terms here. And I got to admit, I'm, I'm – it was a bit annoying for this to happen on a Saturday morning, GP. But it's like we got something else to talk about here in a minute. Like we're still getting news. Like it's just it's it's interesting to see. Despite all this, you know, college basketball still has things going on here. And this was a jolt in the arm uh, during the the thick of April here to to see that this job came open. Well, to, to your initial point, um, if if you're trying to hire the most accomplished basketball coach from the list of candidates we've described. It's Steve Forbes. Like there, there, there's no getting around that. That's that's who you should hire. And it's also worth noting that he's recruited at the highest level of the sport as yeah. well. Sometimes you get mid-major coaches and they've just never recruited at the ACC level. Well, Forbes has recruited at Texas A&M. Forbes has recruited at Tennessee. You know, Forbes was you know getting you know, when he bounced back after you know being a junior college head coach. He, um, you know, recruited at a high level relative to historical standards at Wichita State for Greg Marshall. Then he gets the East Tennessee State job. He's recruited well there. Like he's Forbes is connected at all levels of the sport. So if you're looking for somebody who's recruited at the highest level of the sport and who's, you know, succeeded at the mid-major level as a head coach, clearly the most qualified guy is is, is Steve Forbes. Um, and so we'll, we'll see what they we'll, we'll, we'll see what they do. Um, you mentioned the timing of this Saturday morning. I, I don't think that's an accident. You know, like it, it, on a, on a w- Saturday morning during the NFL draft. Right. By the time Monday comes back around, you're not on. Um, you know, any nobody cares outside of you know folks in your area. It, it won't be anything people are talking about around the country come Monday. And you just sort of, you know, you dump it on a Saturday morning during the NFL draft. I, I don't think the timing is just a coincidence. It was probably done with a purpose this way. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, they probably, they probably were like, nobody's gonna, do, nobody's yeah. gonna blow up their weekend and do a stupid podcast on a Saturday <laughs> in late yeah. April during a pandemic. So let's just go ahead and get it done then. The Ion College Basketball Podcast is always, always watching. But anyway, those are the those four names are the uh, the arrows in the quiver, if you will. For, for John Curry, and you know clearly as this uh, as this story evolves, we'll we'll continue to podcast uh, on this elsewhere. But in the meantime, by the way, there was big recruiting news that happened on Friday. GP, I think you and I should get into that. But first, check you this out. A- the all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, so we had big recruiting. I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally reversing it on GP here right now, but it's a Saturday, so whatever. We had big recruiting news on Friday. The final prospect that was uncommitted, not just among five spars, but in the top 50 of 247 Sports' composite rankings, made his decision. I'll hand it back over to GP to set it up before we, uh, we lay out the conversation. Yeah, so he was picking between Texas, Memphis, Auburn, Kentucky, Michigan, and a G League offer worth reportedly $400,000. And Greg Brown, five-star forward in the class of 2020, announced that he will be a Texas Longhorn. Obviously, two things played a big role here. One is uh, he grew up in the, you know, and he grew up within minutes of the campus, lives within minutes of the campus, so it's staying home. And then his relationship with Shaka Smart. Shaka is the first ever coach to offer him a scholarship. And it is, and we talked about this during the season when Texas got things turned around and looked like a possible NCAA tournament team. Um, it was on, you know, the Ion College Basketball Podcast where I said, I just don't understand why you make a change at, at Texas after this season. People were sp- still speculating that they might, and I was just like, to me, this is simple. Uh, they got a chance to bring back everybody from what uh, is now a competent team. And you add the leader for Greg Brown. They'll add so bring back a competent, possible NCAA tournament team, add a five-star big, and you avoid paying Shaka a massive buyout. Like this is easy to me. And this was even before the pandemic. I'm like, you just bring back Shaka Smart. So they bring back Shaka Smart, and it has gone exactly as planned. He appears that he's going to bring his team back intact. They haven't lost anybody yet. And I, I'm not under the assumption that they're going to. And they they beat out – I think the biggest competition was Memphis, Auburn, and the G League for Greg Brown. And now Texas is set up to you know, have a preseason top 25 team. I've got them 18th in the top 25 and one. Yeah, the timing of all this is funny, by the way, because a year ago – um, there were just murmurs that if Wake Forest opened a year ago, Shaka Smart would be a coach to consider using that opening as a, an escape hatch out of Texas to take the Wake job, and he might have some interest in that. And here we are. Friday comes. He lands Greg Brown. Huge get. Uh, the biggest one since Mohamed Bamba. And then the next morning, Wake, it's just it's just funny, the, t- the timing of all this stuff. Um, Big-time stuff for Shaka here. And Texas now sets up, you know, let's just have this discussion under the uh, the hope that we're going to have a regular, regular season, okay? It'll start on time in November. It's going to be a full slate of games, all that stuff. Uh, Shaka Smart probably enters next season uh, with as much pressure as any coach in America, frankly. It's it's a you-got-to-get-it-done season. It's a you-got-to-not-just-make-the-tournament. You-got-to-make-the-tournament and, you know, be – uh, you know, six seed or better kind of deal and win in the tournament. Uh, I just think that's unavoidable at this point. A total prove-it season, and this is the double-edged sword of landing a Greg Brown. You get a top-10 prospect, who, by the way, um, I don't I don't know how many of his games. You definitely watched at least one of them because we were both on hand at the Peach Jam when we watched him last year, GP. I think I saw his Texas team play four times at the Peach Jam 
last year, super fun player. Uh, if he is able to translate right away at the college level, just a lot of bounce, a lot of energy, good IQ, works well around the rim, can play defense. He is a lot of fun. If he can be an immediately impactful player that gets good minutes, gets good boards, can score, I just don't see how he's not a top 10 pick when we get to 2022. So if you're a Texas fan... You should be extremely enthusiastic at the return of basically your entire roster, and then you bring in Greg Brown. It's just, it's just, it's great news for you. Where do you, by the way, uh, where do you have Texas now in your rankings? I have already said 18th. Okay, 18th. There we go. So, <laughs> listen, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's an old podcast conceit showing its head. Um, I would agree. I would. Border on top 15 status, but I haven't weighed all the pros and cons of all these teams. But I think that they can certainly get there. And um, so I said what I need to say on Texas. I got one more thing, and then you I know you're going to have thoughts on this. I well, tweet, okay, go ahead. If you got a thought on Texas, go ahead. I will say, if you're trying to argue against Texas, I don't think really anybody is. The They played well down the stretch, but the truth is they still finish 61st at Ken Bomb. You know, like how often do 60 teams that are, you know, bring back everybody from a team that finished outside of the top 60? Like, is that. Is that always a great thing? Not necessarily, but I, I'm a believer. Like I, I've got them preseason top twenty. Um, they went five and one, like I said, past last six games, and then they add uh, Greg Brown. Let me ask, did Greg Brown remind me played with Kate Cunningham yes. in EYBO. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I saw him a lot. I remember one game specifically. And for people who don't know, and I don't know how you couldn't if you're listening to a college basketball podcast, but Kate Cunningham, arguably best prospect in the class of 2020. Um. I was sitting with a coach, and I don't remember who it was, but we were watching Kate Cunningham, Greg Brown, and this coach said, Greg Brown will be drafted higher than Kate Cunningham when they enter the NBA draft. Now, I don't know if that's true. I just know that somebody said it out loud. And (laughs) it's it's possible. That's possible. And I specifically remember one of the games that Greg Brown played where he was the, like, again, just one game. He was the best dude on the court that game. He just has that ability, and you can definitely, you can definitely, definitely see it. And um, continue with your thought. That's just, it's interesting. I could, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it had happened, particularly when that game, the game I'm referring to was going on, you'd be like, I totally believe it. Because he right. has these amazing bursts and flashes of, of, uh, of just high level basketball ability. Yeah, just like a, a really bouncy, uh, f- great athlete. Just he's going to be a fun player. I, I think he's going to be a very good college player for one year, and I think he's going to be uh, the key to Texas not only having high expectations but living up to them. I, I think Texas is going to be uh, really good next season, challenge maybe uh, for a Big 12 title. The last thing I would say on this is that, as noted, the G League – you know, had reportedly offered him $400,000 to be a part of the program that Jalen Green's going to be a part of. And he passed on that. And it's just evidence that the G League isn't going to be able to buy every elite prospect that it wants to buy. After Jalen Green accepted that offer, there was some thought from some places that this is the end of, you know, high level prospects going to college. Because why would you go to college for free when you can get $400,000 to train? And the answer to that question is, you know, because college is a better option for some people. Now, I I, I will never, uh, because I got uh, uh, 
a little pushback on Twitter yesterday. I, I say a very little. It's like one guy. So I shouldn't even <laughs> okay. pay attention to it. It's one guy. But they were like, why, why are you against these players having options? I'm like, I'm not against these players having options. And I will never criticize a prospect for skipping college to pursue a professional opportunity. I've never done it. I, I've never – like R.J. Hampton goes to Australia. Good luck. Like I've ne- because I understand why you might do that. It's real money. Like I, under- I, I can understand. I didn't criticize Jalen Green. And I would not have criticized Greg Brown if that's what he wanted to do. But sometimes people set up the choices like you're choosing between the same things. It's like, well, would you rather play basketball for $500,000 or in Greg Brown's case, $400,000? Or would you rather play it for a scholarship and a cost of attendance stipend? Well, those aren't the same things. Like I get the argument if I'm standing in my front yard and somebody says, well, do you want to cut your yard for uh, free or cut your yard for five hundred thousand dollars? I'd be like, I'm gonna cut my yard. Give me five hundred. I'll cut my yard for five hundred thousand dollars. But this is, this is not the same thing. If you go to the G League, you can get four hundred thousand dollars if you're Greg Brown. You will also disappear for a year. You're gonna play in a handful of exhibitions that nobody's gonna attend, that nobody is going to watch other than NBA personnel. This idea that you're gonna be able to get elite prospects and put them in exhibitions and people are gonna pack gyms to see it or watch on television is just nonsense nobody cares Uh, like Mm -hmm. there are top 10 prospects playing single a baseball every summer nobody cares and they're not going to care when it's Jalen green and they're not going to care if it's isaiah todd and they wouldn't have cared if it was greg brown so you're going to disappear for a year if you go to college you're going to play on national i thought about this the other day if you're a college basketball player at a prominent school, you will play more games on national television in one season than you likely will in any season you play in the NBA. Right. You know, like like you'll be on national television. If you go to Texas, like Greg Brown's going, he'll be on national television roughly twice a week for four months. He'll play in front of mostly filled arenas, depending on how the, whether they show up in Austin. <laughs> like I said. Mm-hmm. But like when he goes to Kansas, it'll be filled up. <laughs> and uh, and And – you, and you'll have an opportunity to enhance your brand in a way that actually makes you more money um, in terms of endorsement deals after you uh, you know after you complete college basketball, even if it's just one season and enter the NBA draft. And you're not going to enhance your brand in that G League program. You're just not. And, and, and it doesn't mean that everybody who plays college basketball enhances a brand. It just means that you have an opportunity to do so while playing college basketball. So, again, I'm not going to criticize anybody who goes down that path. I hope Jalen Green uh, is, is incredibly successful. But it's not for everybody. And there are real benefits to turning that down and just playing college basketball. And Greg Brown and his family seem to recognize those benefits. You're right, and um, Jalen Green's the only top 10 prospect in the class of 2020 to opt to play in the G League. Isaiah Todd's a top 15 prospect, and then shortly before we started podcasting, Makura Maker, uh, as was expected, uh, announced that he was going to be turning pro. Uh, He's also a top 15 prospect. But what I did uh, look at after Brown committed, um, to me this is just fun. Um, I don't think we've ever had a top 10 be as wide-ranging or eclectic in terms of commitments across the board, there are varying reasons. That's fine. I'm just giving you the, the, where they're going. Um, you've got number one, Cade Cunningham, and this is per 247 Sports Composite, so it takes all the recruiting rankings and averages them that out, if you will. He's going to Oklahoma State. Number two, Evan Mobley going to USC. Green at three, G League. Terrence Clark is heading to Kentucky, and there was some brief scuttlebutt that he might 
renege on that commitment to go to the G League. Didn't happen. Five, Zaire Williams going to Stanford. Number six, Scotty Barnes, who I cannot wait to see play at Florida State. Kentucky's the only team with two team, two guys in the top ten. Seven is B.J. Boston. Jalen Suggs, we mentioned him previously on the podcast. He's number eight. He's going to Gonzaga. Greg Brown says no to the G League and reportedly 400 grand. He's going to play at Texas. And then Josh Christopher is going to play at Arizona State. What's not in that list? Duke, Carolina, Arizona, those likes. But they are, uh, if you extend out to the five stars, I will mention, because I did get pushback on uh, Jalen Johnson not being included. A lot of people view him as a top-ten prospect. He had some injury issues. He's technically 11th. Duke is in there. Carolina has a really good class. they got Dayron Sharp. They've got Walker Kessler, Caleb Love. All of those are top-20 prospects. And then Duke also has guys like DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach. So the Blue Bloods are still getting the guys. But if you just look at the top-10 this year – G League, Oklahoma State, Stanford, Gonzaga, Arizona State, Texas. I don't know how much that's going to add up to, like if that'll correspond if we look GP February 1st of 2021 and we're going to see a lot of those teams populate in the top 20. They may, they may not. But me personally, we got the best blend of everything. We've got a lot of different choices in the top 10. But as you mentioned on the podcast just a couple of days ago, you still have the usual suspects in terms of the overall class rankings. So it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, Kentucky and Duke still dominating the recruiting conversation for the most part. Carolina is very much in there again, as it should be. But top 10 specifically, when you look at it, they're all over the map, literally across the country. And I think that's a fun change of pace for college basketball. Now we just got to see if we're going to have a season, when it's going to be played. I know. I was rolling there. Just pulled it right out from underneath me. I know. Hopefully <laughs> now, we, do, cool. hopefully we, uh, we do have see, one. But yeah, I, know. Um, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, for whatever it's worth, and uh, this is not a report. It's just like, hey, what are you hearing? Like that's literally how the conversation starts. What are you hearing out there? And um, this person seemed to think that the most likely scenario – would be college basketball and college football both be being pushed back to January. That would be that would suck in the short term, but if you're telling me that like we it would be an over GP it'd be an overload of awesomeness cuz they got to have a college football season uh if that did happen if we're starting think about that like think about if like the Champions Classic was like January 4th. Be weird. But well, well, the first Saturday in January is January. Sa- I looked this up the other day. I like uh, after this this person told me this. I believe the first January and Saturday. Yeah, it's January second. So you would theoretically start the college football season there, and um, and maybe the college basketball season right around there as well. But there was a way where this person said he at least had heard that there was a. Again, just idea being bounced around. If there was a way to schedule the seasons in a way that led to a weekend where you had the Final Four on Saturday, the College Football National Championship game on Sunday, and the Men's National Championship game on Monday night. Would be unbelievable. Now, I don't – I doubt they would do that because I feel like there are probably – from a logistics standpoint, when you get down to the school level and the conference level, maybe it's not impossible, but they probably would want to avoid that. But if it ever happened, we're talking about just the greatest stretch. I mean, imagine if you had 
the NCAA tournament r- coinciding with just even like you know your your, your throwaway bowl games, you know, and that all that culminates to the college football playoffs. So that what you'd have the you'd have the uh, the previous the previous games. I mean, GP, if you're gonna if if that were to happen, the previous weekend you've got the Sweet 16 Elite Eight going off uh, at, on the same day or the or the day after or before you know the 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 college football semifinals. It'd be uh, it'd be something. Well, here's the the uh, and and this person again. We, we were just bouncing ideas off each other. Like one one obvious thing is like how do you handle it from a television perspective? Yes, of course. Like you know, you would have to treat basketball almost like basketball is treated in November, December, with very few prominent Saturday games because football eats up Saturday television properties. So that was something we were talking about. And this person um, said, "Hey, like, w- 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 is there a way to do it all at the same place? Like, could you actually pull off?" say in Indianapolis, a Final Four on Saturday, flip it to a football stadium on Sunday, have your national champion, do the whole thing in the same place, oh <laughs> which would be bananas. Like, I don't even know if that's possible. I doubt it. There's no way that's possible. Yeah, I don't want to say there's I mean, no way. I mean, anything's possible. <laughs> right. Anything is possible. Anything's possible. So, yeah. um, so there's that. But um, in, a, in a totally separate conversation – I was talking to a, a basketball coach, and one of the points he made, and it's a point I've made before, was like, you know, we're all just acting like basketball season is going to start on time. But it seems unlikely at this point that every state is going to have students on campus in the fall. Some some definitely will. Georgia, <laughs> based on the Georgia governor, like they have, they'll have, they'll have, they 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 they're good. To, they think they're good to go. So some states will have students on campus in the fall, but every state's not going to, it, at, at least it seems unlikely at this point. So like, let's just say California, for instance, seems, uh, says we're not having, um, ca- students on campus. Well, conference commissioners have already said, at least some of them, if we don't have students on campus, we're not competing in sports. So if it's just California, all right, well that, now uh, San Diego state. So how do you play a mountain West ba- mm-hmm. mountain? How's the mountain? Like, well, how's that work? And then uh, UCLA, like, how's that? Well, you've got the Pac-12 tied up into that. You got the Mountain West Conference tied up in that. West Coast Conference tied up in that. Um, like, okay, let's say you are the head coach at Georgia. You're Tom Crean, and you've got a bye game with um, UC Santa Barbara. I don't know, uh, but they're not playing because they don't have to. What do you do there? It just seems this coach was like, I don't know how it works if if some schools are playing and some schools aren't. We need to ha- we need to probably all be on the same page before we try to play a season, and it seems like that's not possible until January. I don't know. Like again, people nobody knows for sure, but I, I think it's a reasonable thing to think about. Yeah, that's true. Well, I I would prefer the season to start on time, but if that alternate reality came to be, um, it'd be really fun. I also wonder uh, if that did wind up happening. Um, because I have t- I've had conversations with coaches, uh, just musings like just like you know, well, would would non-conference games just get eliminated for for one season, and we would try and just have conference seasons, and have a sixty-eight team tournament based purely off of what you did in your league, and what would you know, how would that change? There's a there's a lot of what ifs that have that have obviously been tossed out there, and we got to get much further down the road before we um before we can figure all that out. All right, it's a Saturday afternoon. My wife's got chores for me to do. You got anything else, or can we wrap this bad boy up here? 
I think my only goal for the rest of the day is to knock out as many episodes of Succession as I can. Okay, so you've started it. Yes, and I, you know what? I don't understand why I haven't been watching this all along. It's great. I think it's pretty good. I can't say great, but I am, I think, three episodes from finishing season two. Have you wrapped up season one yet or no? No, I'm right. I'm like episode seven, season one. Okay, okay. It uh, but, it gets better. So yeah, it's yeah. You, yeah well, you, that's what people people told me. I, one person said it starts slow, but it gets really good. And I was like enjoying it from episode one. Like I was in pretty quickly. Like I I dig it. It's funny. It's smart. I like it. It is the my uh, one of my only critiques of it are I just don't. I I like a lot of the characters, but I don't buy that Roman. Uh, Shiv, Kendall, I don't. They don't seem like siblings to me. They seem like really <laughs> good actors and really good characters. But I actually, I don't. They don't feel like they are. I don't know. That's that's just that's. It always seems off to me with with uh, that particular like the family dynamic, which is what the show's built around so much of. Like I definitely buy. Um, <laughs> like the patriarchy, like that that definitely comes into play, and, and he's a wonderful actor, but. Um, but I don't know, like, Kendall and Roman just don't seem like brothers to me. So I, I think that affects sometimes when I watch it, that's all. No, I can see that. But, like, often brothers are very different. Me and my brother are very different. That's true. Oh, we that's look- definitely true with, with, with me and particularly one of my brothers, yes. Yeah, that's me true. and my brother are very different. We look, we, we look similar, but we are very, uh, very different. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to knock out Succession episodes. I finished Ozark. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on Ozark. I'm in the middle of Shit's Creek. That's that's what me and I got to. I got to get to Billions, watching Shit's Creek, and otherwise, that's uh, just doing some guitar stuff there. So. Oh, and I the the other thing, I almost knocked this out last night, and then I fell asleep. Uh, the Beastie Boys documentary came out yesterday. Did it? Okay. I w- that's actually it was my intention to watch that like in the next two to three days. Uh, but I, I that's gonna be like I gotta 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 watch. I think that's yeah, on Apple, gonna, Apple Plus, yeah. right? Yeah, Apple Plus. I might knock that out as well. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments, and we will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.